Welcome back to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. This is a Galliard Rants episode as a follow-on episode to our Dark Ages Werewolf conversation that I had with Jim Dealey. Jim is with us again today, and we are going to be talking about story seeds for you to run your Dark Ages Werewolf game. So, Jim, how are you today? I'm doing great. Any day I get to hang out with my buddy Josh Heath is a good one. And what's better than one Galliard ranting? Two Galliards ranting. So um, I'm looking forward to this because this feels like a GM brain blender, which is my favorite thing to do with one of my best friends, Chris Jerome. He and I have co-written most of the chronicles we've run by bouncing ideas back and forth across each other. And the result is always better. He and I should have co-authoring credits on almost everything we've done. And I look forward to this because I'm sure that whatever we come up with is going to be awesome to run. And hopefully it will inspire some more people to pick up Dark Ages and run something in the deep, dark wilds and go kill some leeches or something. Absolutely. So the way we're going to structure this is we're going to base it on the triad. So each of us has three ideas that are based around the wild, the weaver, and the worm. And um, so I'm going to pitch my wild concept, then Jim's going to pitch his wild concept, and we're going to go back and forth a little bit on bolstering out the concept that we have, um, add some features to it and um, hopefully give folks something to work off of uh, to run your own chronicle in the dark ages or in the future, uh, in the modern era, if it is an applicable story, which it might be as well. The one of the other ground rules we all agreed, we both agreed on was that we've seen plenty enough in England. So we decided to put everything everywhere else, but England. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So we're trying to expand your dark ages reach here. Um, that mean, doesn't mean we're experts on these places we're talking about, but at least trying to give you hooks that will be applicable. If you're like, I want to do something a little bit different than just end up in England or Wales or Ireland or Scotland or the Isle of Man. Anyway, all those places in the British right. Isles. Well, the other thing is, is you can resolve those lack of expertise with a touch of research. I know I did a little bit when I, at least on my worm idea, because I didn't know anything about the area I was setting it in, but I was fascinated by this uh, strange arrangement where the Silver Fangs and Shadow Lords actually work together. Mm. I'm like, why did that happen? Mm -hmm. So, mm. interestingly enough, we both have a hook that deals with the Shadow Lords and the Silver Fangs working together, which is one of the things that I, we had talked about trying to use. So, I want to dive into my hook, which applies to that that concept. So my wild hook is this. You are uh, a werewolf in Krakow. The pack is in Krakow and kinfolk are disappearing in the woods. Normally they are, they tend to be, they seem to be disappearing because they are going out to, uh, to different markets or to do um, on trade routes outside of the city. Um, and they're just disappearing for some reason. The silver fangs in the area, who are the powerhouses, the connections to the royalty of this area is strong. Blame the shadow lords who are connected to the more, uh, the peasants and the more common folk of this area, which the shadow lords are also connected to the merchants. So they have a direct link to, hey, our kinfolk are going missing. But the silver fangs, as they see this is kind of their domineering space, are like, you must be the ones doing this because we don't like you. That's kind of the, the basic setup here. Um, but each group is blaming one another. And this ramps up tensions and intentions as the story goes along. I'm imagining this like these tensions build over a three or four game um, arc as these uh, the leaders of either side gear up for war. But the pack has the opportunity to dig in and figure out who is actually to blame for these disappearances. What is actually causing it? Because this is a wild hook. The big bad guy is a gorgon, is a wild spirit possessed being of some form that is actively stealing kinfolk, dragging them into the umbra and horribly mutating and changing these kinfolk. What would be an interesting alternative to the Gorgon that I've been thinking about while we I was pitching this is that it's a true fae who is trying to create the changeling way. They're trying to create changelings for the first time because they're like, we're getting destroyed by the banality of the church. We've got to figure out something. So they're attacking werewolf kinfolk thinking they are easier to possess with spirits 
maybe I, as a true fae, will be able to possess them more effectively uh, because of their susceptibility to that power. I think both work as a wild hook, but Jim, what do you think about the general idea? Oh, I think it's an interesting thought. The tensions between the Silver Fangs and the Shadow Lords are always going to be high mm -hmm. because in so anything that uh, they're dry tinder, any spark will light the flame. And the player characters can fall down the rut, especially if they're dominated by one side or the other, of playing into this conflict instead of actually trying to resolve it, which could be an also interesting storyline is if you're going to get involved in that. But finding the actual culprit. I like the Gorgon. I, I think the Gorgons are underused. They appear in my story, in my wild thought as well, because the wild has Fomori too, right? And they're just as much not your friend. Mm-hmm. But I like the true Fey idea even better, especially if one in the future they don't have, they didn't, they did put some Fey stuff in the Dark Ages book, but it was running on the assumption that you had Changeling, right? It was running on the assumption that Changelings were classic. I really like what they did in the second edition of Dark Ages. The second edition of Dark Ages Fey is, in my opinion, one of the most unappreciated games mm -hmm. in the White Wolf lineup. It did Where, an amazing yeah. job of giving you uh, tools to play something that felt really dark and really like classic um, fairy lore, um, which is very different than Changeling in some ways, but you can see the edges of what becomes Changeling in that book too. It's really interesting. One of, the, one of my great ambitions is to write a series of books to expand upon Dark Ages Fae and weave the threads that connect Changeling to the Dark Ages Fae in such a way that it makes sense. So yeah, the idea of the Fae Lord trying to find some way to connect the two, especially with werewolf kinfolk, who already have a foot in both worlds. Right. Who already have a foot in both worlds. This would be a plot that a Fianna would be looking like, hey, hey, cousins, stop that. Why are you doing this? It's like, leave us alone. Because the, the real secret is, I think that the Fiona get their fey blood because of interbreeding directly with changelings. Right. With not even changelings, with fey, which is like, there's a distinction there that is sometimes kind of under understood in like the modern context. Like changelings are not fey. They're the remnants of the fey. They are the, the, the drippings almost of the wax that is a true fey. Like they are little bits and pieces of that. Um, and the Fianna, I think, are connected much more to the true Fae who are really wild creatures. And for me, this is a great like opportunity to link in Exalted. I know some people don't like to link in Exalted into the world of darkness anymore, but the fair folk in Exalted that become the Dark Ages Fae, that become changelings, there's some awesome connections there. So I think it'd be a good place to lean into that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you could introduce an, an, an opposition, the true Fey, who has powers the werewolves have never dealt with before. Right. And there's Fey lore everywhere in Europe. It's not just a British Isles thing. Right. There are Fey everywhere. And you can pull that ideas from that to create minions for this fair folk who is definitely not going to appreciate Guru. And he should have anticipated this. You're snatching Guru kinfolk. Sooner or later, Guru are going to come after you. Right. And that's, I think, is what they need to do, is the fair folk has an inkling that the werewolves are going to come after their kinfolk. So he's going to have a plan to deal with them, or at least to keep them out of the way. Yep. So what is he going to do to keep the, fair, keep the werewolves from interfering with his experiments? The thing for me is I would have him in the dreaming or the, the Umbra, he's got his own manse or um, umbral realm that is really close to the physical world. Uh, like so close that it's possible to accidentally fall into it by walking into places in the woods. But right now he's got fortifications built up, like literal and uh, magical fortifications built up around his castle or a fortress or whatever it is in the woods outside of Krakow. And that, like storming that is going to be a task on its own. And that like would 
require an alliance between both of the two tribes of werewolves who are blaming one another for this situation. I like that. You're basically burning out a worm hive, but it's a fey hive instead. Yeah. So you now have to figure out you aren't going to have the forces to do this by yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have the forces to do this with a pack. Now you have to go to both the Silver Fangs and the Shadow Lords, persuade them of this is what's actually happening. We have proof. This is what's actually happening. This is where your kinfolk are. And we can rescue them, but only if you're willing to cooperate with the other guy. Yep. Yep. So for me, I, I one of the things I want to do here that I didn't mention to you before, so don't worry if I'm putting you on the spot, but I want to come up with three general NPCs to use in this story. So the first one clearly is this Fey Lord. Like they are um, a powerful being of some form because this is Eastern Europe we're talking about. Maybe they'll have some links to um, Baba Yaga lore or something like that, where they're um, a bit of like a swamp being um, like a proto slua or something like that. Um, But they believe in hospitality. They believe in when they offer someone um, a, a gift that it should be reciprocated. Um, so they're um, a bit like a Zemisi because uh, they're my favorite vampire clan. Um, but you get to play with some of the changeling stuff as well with them. Um, the other two NPCs are a Shadow Lord. Um, the Shadow Lord is the wife of a major merchant in the city. Um, she is the alpha of the Shadow Lords in the region, um, but she is also not known outside of the tribe as the Alpha. She is con- like she is the hidden leader of the tribe in this area. So she has a face. She has a, another Shadow Lord who acts as the uh, the Alpha to outsiders, um, and he. Uh, presents himself as a local warlord over a small like gr- group of bandits. Um, that is who he is. Um, so those are like my three NPCs. I'd want to create a Silver Fang one as well, um, but those are the three like general. Well, no, you, you really you, you expand on this. Okay, so now you have the local Silver Fang leadership. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to be directly on a throne, right? Believe me, that's not a good plan, right? But the pious dynasty, at least in my opinion, that's running hunger, that's running Poland, running, I say in quotation marks, because it's not really. Um, the local pious dynasty, if you ask me, is shot through with gleaming eye silver fangs They're, through their German relations. They actually have legitimate German relations. Mm-hmm. So that strikes me as a great way to put the silver fangs into that bloodline. So you want someone who's close at hand to the local lord, like an advisor or a vizier or something, who's a silver fang. Probably a philodox. Mm-hmm. Probably has some serious rank on it. Actually, the alpha of the local cairn, and actually has no problem hiding it. And while he really doesn't see any other reason, he thinks that the settlers are behind this because, well, our kinfolk are going missing. That's they're accompanying these caravans for traveling purposes, and you're and they're vanishing and they're abducting. It, he doesn't see the other side, which is a bad trade on his part for philodox that you know their kinfolk are going missing too right now if you want to mix it up and make things more interesting maybe he sent a silver fang ragabash to go and investigate the situation on his own because he's really trying to figure out what's going on and that silver fang ragabash is making all kinds of trouble up in the shadow lord areas and is actually inflaming the subject more because he's thinking that he's throwing his pure breeding around he's throwing his the position is somebody's lent lackey around to actually get some things done. And he's getting not getting stonewalled basically because mm-hmm. he's barking up the wrong tree. Right. And he's ticking off the silver fangs, the shadow Lords while he's at it. And like then it. you throw in somebody from one of the other tribes around here. Like maybe you throw a bone gnar in because bone gnars have a significant presence in Poland. Yep, as mentioned yep. in the book. So you throw in a bone gnar who actually knows something about what's going on. And he's willing to talk to the PCs, assuming that they don't have their heads up their proverbial Mm you-know-whats, and are actually looking to committed to solving the problem because Bonar kinfolk are going missing too. Right. 
and he's really concerned about this and this sort of thing that neither the lordly clans are noticing, lordly tribes are noticing, I should say, is that it's affecting the other Hamid kinfolk in the area too. Mm-hmm. It's not, it just almost seems targeted. So there we go. Is there you have three three NPCs from each of us who can easily interact with the player characters and move this plot along. If anyone uses that, let us know. Jim, pitch us your wild idea. Now, I put, this is just a, this could happen anywhere in Europe. I pinned it in France, but I don't really think it needs to be in any specific location. This comes from a lot of the fact that I have far too much knowledge about how the medieval works. Uh, The medieval warming period saw the population of Europe growing, Mm -hmm. expanding, booming. This is not, I mean, the the perception of this time as a bad time for humanity comes mostly from the for the Black Plague era, but the Black Plague era was the uh, was the exception. The rule was, by and large, the medieval was a good time for the common people, expanding population-wise, at least. We have nice, seasonable weather, predictable rainfall patterns. Things are overall improving from... And the relative stability of political structures in feudalism, and feudalism does have the advantage of being stable, mm-hmm. um, has allowed for population growth. So after long centuries of decline in the real Dark Ages, after the fall of the Roman Empire, we have the population is growing. So there's a lot of documentary evidence for new manors being built, new fields being cleared, new lords trying to recruit peasants to settle new areas by exempting them from certain taxes, fees, duties, obligations, etc. The medieval lords' mindset of expanding their holdings, like we discussed back in the back in the other episode, you can't get blood from a stone. Mm-hmm. You're not going to squeeze the peasants any harder than you already have. Because if you take more of their food, they can't grow you anymore. So you think in terms of expansion, not in terms of working what I have harder. So you think about, I have all of this forested land that is not productive. Let me expand some fields that direction. Let me turn it into new manors and new new spots. Hey, look, I have a new manor house. I can plunk a new knight in there. And that will give me more another guy to bring me another round of soldiers. And more and more forested land is getting cleared and plowed in pursuit of this. As you might imagine, this doesn't make the guru happy at all. Right. So I'm going to pick on the red talents because they deserve it. Um, the red talons in particular take this in a bad, bad way. So in this scenario, which could happen anywhere in Europe, I'm going to drop the pin in northern France, but you could put it anywhere you want. Some ambitious lord is planting several new villages on the edge of an old growth forest, which just happens to contain a small sept of red talents. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not like it's on their bond. Their, their carrot is deep in the woods. These people are easily more than two or three days run away from them. But the fact of the matter is, they're chopping down trees at the edge of our forest. They're clearing new land. They're putting it under the plow. Now, the red talons decide that they can't, they decide the appropriate response is to scare them away, not kill them. Okay. I actually kind of like that response being more common among red talons of the era. Yep. Because you might, for some reason, they decide they just can't wholesale slaughter these villagers. Be either because there's too many people and they don't have enough red talons, or because there may be some kinfolk among them for other tribes, and killing other tribes' kinfolk is generally something that the red talons don't want to do because it provokes unnecessary internecine strife. Mm-hmm. So they decide to do the full court press to scare them away. Cry of the prey, strategic use of delirium, snap man's chains, the right of the wilderness. The red talons have lots of dirty tricks to get humans off their dirt. And they deploy them all, but the humans are undeterred. They, the settlers are not stopped by the witchery. They bring in priests to bless the animals. They dedicate a couple of new church sites. Trees keep getting felled. Homes keep getting built. Land is getting cultivated by the plow. Then something weird happens. This whole region just poof, disappears off the map. Nothing. Nobody, anybody who goes in there finds the forest thicker than ever before. Undeterred, undisturbed. Where are the villages? What happened to the people? For that matter, what happened to the cairn? It's gone. So the players get sent in for some reason or another because they vanished without a trace. Maybe they had some kinfolk in those villages. Maybe there's a spirit that's called out that something is wrong here. Maybe they've 
encountered a survivor of the Red Talon Cairn. Because eventually you're going to find a survivor, and that'll be one of my three NPCs. You'll find the player characters go into the forest, which gets deep and dark in a real hurry. They find the they don't find the ruins of the villages so much as they find trees growing throughout them, like they were always there. But those trees have faces. And they find weird, weird stuff. This is the wild, so you can go nuts. Um, they can have, they've basically walked into a wild zone in the realm. The player characters are now dealing with monsters. There's weirdness aplenty, but it's the monstrosity of unchecked creative power that breaks the rules of reality. The forest has grown to near impenetrable thickness. All the plants within are wild and dangerous. The rules of reality are not playing fair. Gravity suddenly stops and you start go flying. Maybe you get a sudden storm of stones instead of raindrops. Maybe you get a rushing wind, but you feel a summer's heat on your face. And it's the wild. Go nuts. So, and the PCs that get deeper into the wild zone may find a survivor of the destroyed cairn who's warped beyond all recognition by the power of the wild. Worse mutations than three metas combined. And he tells the PCs what happened. The prophet of the Talon started all this by saying a city of men would spring up from the new settlement and the cairn would be destroyed. That's why they started their full court press. Get rid of this before it happens. But they were just scared that it wasn't working fast enough. A young red Talon Theurge has an idea. Let's harness the power of the wild to beat the weaver. Dare not call on the worm after all. That was what we've been doing is trying to call on the worm. Let's call on the wild instead. Well, one right of summoning that goes way beyond his expectations. And he has called forth an eldritch wild spirit of, of extraordinary power. And he asks the wild spirit to make things the way they were in the beginning. Oh, wow. For fool <laughs> and that wild spirit does exactly that he reverts the world back to the way it was before the sundering of the gauntlet before the weaver put everything in order and he's doing his darndest to make everything back to the way it was when creation began including unmaking the guru because well they're trying to stop him now right he can't do that. We can't have that. Nice. So the other guru get either warped or killed or something awful happens to them. All those villagers have been turned into gorgons. Maybe they've been warped into the shape of trees. Maybe they've been warped into the shape of weird animals. Maybe they do something fun with them. You have three villages worth of wild femori to play with. Go nuts. Nice. Okay. And now what are you going to do about this? What are the Guru can actually do about this because you can't. It, it, a straightforward fight is going to be really hard against this creature. Right. This is, it's it is a great dilemma for the, the pack to be like, oh, how are we actually going to uh, create a solution here? Because you can't just kill all of this and have it succeed. No, it, it, you because you can slaughter gorgons till you rot. It'll make more. Right. It's the unchecked creative power of the wild. It can do that. Okay. So you can't got... bind it. You've got one NPC, the like remnant of the Red Talon um, Cairn, uh, sept in this area. Who are your other two NPCs for this story? Well, obviously the Wild Spirit itself okay. um, is a powerful NPC that you're not going to just kill. Right. I mean, you could try, but it'll take you like the you'll have to throw like three Cairns worth of Guru at it mm -hmm. to just take down all the minions and then fight it himself. You can't. It, it's meant to be a threat. You have to outthink rather than out fight. Um, so you have to figure out some way to deal with it because it's not going to be susceptible to a right of binding. Mm -hmm. It's way too powerful for that. And it's not friendly to your totem. So you have to figure out how do we get rid of it? You can't unsummon it. So we got the Red Talon Survivor. We got that person. And then we need a canary in the coal mine. Like maybe one of the kinfolk who ran away from the villages to go get the player characters. He knows that he has guru relations and he knows that they'll help him solve the problem. But he tells them of the awful, weird, wild things that have been happening in their in the environs and that lures the players in to investigate. And here's what I would do with them instead. So 
the wild spirit itself wants Geru because it needs them. It needs their power to continue expanding its uh, hold on the territory that it has claimed. So I like this. I like this. Good. Robs the the spirit power from them. So it uh, it sends a kinfolk out infected with a uh, a spirit. So it is. This is a gorgon. The kinfolk that they send and they oh please help us. Like you've got to you know get us out of here. But what it's really doing is luring the pack and any other Garu it can get into it, so it can absorb them. Um, and has to do so slowly, so it's not going to be obvious right away. Uh, but absorb them and use its use their energy to expand its holdings. Like it, like it a lot. Modify uh, modification accepted. Proto Gorgon kinfolk. Yeah, actually, the canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. Where would you? What would you add to this? What? Where are some some NPCs you would add to this? I I don't think there's much more that I would add. Because one of the things that I would want to do is keep this plot really, really focused, where it's um, it's got like this enemy and these conditions, and the players just have to try things and see if they can fix it. But of course, because the spirit is trying to uh, absorb their power, the more gnosis they spend and rituals they do empower the spirit. So they've got to find some way to do the thing they need to do without empowering the spirit at the same time. Like I actually see this story probably not ending well for a pack, but them trying really, really hard right up until the end where it's like, it takes you out. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you, and I would pull some rules from exalted again, Mm -hmm. because I love them. Uh, This is basically a wild zone. Right, you're you've walked out of creation into the border marches, and maybe even into the deep wild. The wild is going to start changing you. Right. The more time the where the werewolves spend within this thing's dirt, the more the wild is going to mess with them. Yeah, I the like it. Wild is not your friend. Right. One of the points for both of our wild stories is that. This idea that the wild is what the Geru serve and is their friend is a lie. And you want to emphasize that in a story with the wild as the antagonist, that that is a lie. Do not buy into the lie because when the wild decides it's going to do something, it does it and doesn't care about the werewolves in that space. Mm -hmm. The wild is the unchecked force of creation. Mm -hmm. It will do what it wants. It is id. It is id without any kind of ego going for it. Yep. Ultimately, one of the thoughts that I had about solving this particular wild mess is you might have to go call on a weaver spirit or multiple weaver spirits right. to try or, and put reality back in order. Worse, you need to call on the worm. You need to make a deal with a local hive who can call on a worm spirit strong enough to actually dissolve the wild's influence in this area. Oh my, that's a story your Galliard is never going to tell. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we're just going to ignore that this entire thing happened. <laughs> okay, I think All that's right. an awesome game. I want to run that. But let's move to Weaver now. Um, I'm going to pitch my first Weaver story. So this story is going to happen in Baghdad in particular. It doesn't have to be Baghdad. It could be Cairo um, but it has to be somewhere in uh, the Middle East. It has to be somewhere in um, that, uh, in the real stronghold of Islam. Um, because that's where civilization is right now. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like the largest cities in the world. Uh, well, the largest cities no. in this part of the world are there. Um, the uh, North American cities are bigger in some ways but baghdad here is a powerhouse of a location um the warders of men like this is one of their main territories um this is a place where you can lean into the whole um humanity is important to werewolves at times the type of story but what's difficult about baghdad in this era is that the ashira a group of vampires that are largely muslim also claim this territory. It is their like stronghold and they are faithful. 
which puts them in an interesting place in regards to the words of men who are also faithful Muslims. And then you've got these other layers that I want to add into it. This area also has the silent striders who cannot be in Egypt itself, but absolutely are in the rest of the Middle East, in particular in this area uh, around Baghdad and Syria and all of that. Um, that's a stronghold of the silent striders at, in, at the time because it's close to their original homeland. But they're also at odds with the followers of Set who are in this city as well, who are not allied with the Ashira because of their religious differences. Right. So you've got already four layers of tension in this city just as a backdrop. And then you've got the Rus who are traders that come to Baghdad on a regular basis. And with them, a group of Fenrir who come here, do some trading, do some interactions with the local werewolves, don't really love any of it, but they're getting um, silver and things like that that they need, uh, that they use for their claves and things like that um, from this uh, really wealthy place. Um, but they are being hounded by the gangrel Anhayar, Anhariar, it's a terrible word. Um, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't pronounce it either. <laughs> I should, and I, I should. <laughs> but <laughs> these are um, vampires that are Viking vampires that are um, from Wolves of the Sea, which is an interesting book. Um, but this is an opportunity to, again, have another yeah, like, antagonist, vampire antagonist group against your werewolves here. Oh, Wolves of the Sea, such a missed opportunity because they wrote it about the wrong supernatural type. I agree. Mm. Not talking about that right now, but I agree. <laughs> um, there are six layers of tension already now in Baghdad for this Reaver story. Mm -hmm. All of these tensions by themselves are surmountable. But you are a pack of powerful werewolves. This is not a story for starting level werewolves. This is a story where you get to play I'd say rank three werewolves or higher. Mm -hmm. All have authority in their various groups in the city. And they're seeing, maybe they get a prophecy, maybe a spirit comes to them, maybe a member of the Ashira comes to them and says, this is untenable. All of these tensions will erupt into a war that will destroy this city if we do not put it behind us. As a pack have to unlock all of the various puzzles that all of these tensions represent work with individuals and different groups in just the right way kill certain individuals that you have to kill that are absolutely worm-tainted horrors but there aren't just worm-tainted horrors here there are also some vampires that you have to work with because they are faithful in the same way that you are as well and it's that creates because... a tension yeah, because Islam does not preclude the existence of supernatural beings being faithful. No, it does not. It explicitly allows for the jinn and other supernatural beings to, uh, to revert, as the terminology is in Islam, to the faith. So it is possible for both vampires and werewolves to be faithful in the world, at least, in this world of darkness, to be faithful Muslims, which is a interesting tension to work out in a game story yeah because they're technically co-religionists right and they should all be on the same side about this right so i, I would i would like to see how you would write the philosophy such that they can work their gaia centric animism and the faith of islam together that would be an interesting philosophical discussion but we'll accept it as a given that these werewolves are faithful Muslims and the vampires are faithful Muslims. Mm -hmm. And that probably just looks weird if you're the Fenrir who are looking at this like you guys are all praying to the same God and there's only one of them and it's not Gaia. That's like, uh, what's, what's up with you guys? Mm -hmm. Um... <laughs> There's so, a, there's a lot of stuff to like build for this, but I think uh, I think it the, just the setup for it 
would be really intriguing to dive into. And what I would do with it uh, is I would let the players do a lot of the philosophy element, the theology elements and say, look, these are your conflicting elements of theology that you have to um, work with. Um, how would you come to the table with this and say, I am, I am faithful, but I am a werewolf. How do I get those two things to mesh? And I would allow every player to bring their own take of that to the table, because this is an era um, when in Islam, there's a lot of philosophy and a lot of trying to understand um, deeper concepts and elements that are really important. Um, so let the players play that out at the table, as it were. I like this. The weaver element comes not from the rise of the city, although it is in the city. Mm -hmm. The weaver element comes not from the weaver trying to bring you down and put you in or your place and put you in order. The weaver element comes from the ideas of these conflicting doctrines. Yes. The power of the weaver is found in the ideas. And I find it interesting that both of us for our weaver thoughts went for weaver ideas. Weaver is a force of ideas rather than a force of literal steel and girders like it is in the like it is in the modern world. Right. I think you've got an opportunity in the dark ages to be like the weaver's not the bad guy yet. It's potentially this force for bringing people together and how do you do that with conflicting uh, other conflicting elements of the weaver doctrine and um and things like that that stand in opposition to cooperation and working together for a common good you know it's an interesting tension um so npcs so got tons of them there, yeah there are so many that come to mind that it's hard to pick three but the first one that comes to mind is i want explicitly a uh, follower set who is one of the older setites specifically a sorcerer who is his whole goal is the uh revivication of set and he is here because he believes the blood of silent striders is required to revive set. So he is, he is an alchemist that tries to capture them, steal their blood and use it for his rituals. So that is a, uh, a villain for the pack to have to deal with. Like clearly bad guy needs to die, but how do they do so? Because he's powerful. So there's one. Second one for me is the leader of the Fenrir in this city um, is a is totally against all of this religion stuff in this area is like Gaia is Gaia and Fenrir is our like uh, totem spirit and all of that doesn't get any of the stuff that this pack is trying to do, but needs something from them whatever it is, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but needs something from the pack. And so trades with them and works with them and passes information, but hates it the entire time he's doing so because he just sees them as heretics for lack of a better word. Interesting. I like that perspective. Mm -hmm. The last NPC, I think, is a warder of man who is a Christian in Baghdad. He is specifically here because he's trying to understand how all of these different groups live in this one place without destroying one another outright. Maybe he's from Jerusalem, where that has absolutely not been the case. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep, maybe. Like, it, he is here because he sees a possible future direction for things to go that would bring people together in a uh, in a really like good way but also sees oh wait maybe this is going to explode in a powder keg um, he offers offers an outsider's perspective and connections to things that the group might not have otherwise um, so an interesting figure for them to interact with there are so many possibilities there yeah i like that um yeah i'd have to do some interesting npcs on this one there 
this would be a very NPC focused kind of story. Mm -hmm. And you'd have a lot of social interactions going on. You'd have to draw a lot of connection webs to see how the various NPCs relate to each other. Yep. I like my silver fangs, so I'm gonna pull one out of pull one out that fits culturally appropriately right there. Well, Housewise Heart is all throughout this area. They've definitely they've interbred almost exclusively with the Muslim nobility when it's not the Mediterranean nobility on the other side. Right. Um, so Housewives Heart would definitely have representatives here, if not more. I mean, they may be the kind of the neutral third parties who arbitrate the various disputes between the guru types, because you're going to have children of Gaia, you're going to have bone nards, you're going to have warders of men here, and they're not all going to get along. Right. So maybe we do a Silver Fang Philodox, who's a philosopher who is highly placed in the mortal sultan's court, and is widely regarded as a poet, a philosopher, and a speaker on Islamic ideals, whom the player characters can go to if they need someone to both commentate on the law of Guru and on the law of mortal men mm -hmm. and on the philosophies and someone they can bounce ideas off of, of how do we reconcile this with this or this with that? Because this philodox is an elder highly ranked, highly wise, and definitely considers all sides of everything. That's why he's such a good mediator. And an unusually unambitious Silver Fang, he doesn't want to take positions of power. He finds he's a more effective mediator from the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is you should introduce is the conflict of Shia, because this is part of where Shia starts to come into the religion. Right. So maybe we pull someone from the other side maybe a kinfolk or a galliard or something to the silent striders who is a Shia imam mm -hmm. who is inflaming things, who is absolutely in this region it, uh, really appropriate because um, the, the big Sunni Shia split occurs in the area that is now Iraq and Iran. Like you are right on the, like uh, the border of where that split occurs. So absolutely appropriate to have those tensions there now recognize folks that are listening to this you've got to be a little bit aware of some history to do this story really well and you've got to be respectful with it but i think this is a place where you can tell a really good story if you're willing to do some research and you're uh, willing to um, be proactively um, deep in your uh, searching um, i think this is a good opportunity for that and this is where I would point out that neither of us are culturally Islamic. Neither of us are cultural or religiously Muslim. Right. So we are not experts. We know some, we know enough of this because we read on the era to be dangerous. Right. So you should do similar research and more of it. And whenever possible, consult someone who is of the faith. Right. If you have any questions about how to portray the Muslim faith and the Islamic faith accurately. Yep. So and there are books that White Wolf produced, even like Veil of Night, which provides oh, some tools. Um, but you can do a lot of research on the Internet these days. So do your research. Yeah, this is definitely a, a story that requires a lot of research on both the part of the players and the storyteller. Yeah. So, okay. um, so third I guy I'd pull because we've got to do another vampire of some sort. Um now you need to have a leader of the Ashira. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking an Asamite. Okay. Because why not play with them when you can? I don't know if we've done the split into three three subtypes of this clan yet, but I'll play with it okay. because I want to. Sure. Um, do a vizier, and this person basically serves the op the same function as the Silver Fang I just described, but for the Ashira. Sure. And he's trying to balance the various competing vampiric interests. Maybe they're the prince or equivalent thereof of this mm -hmm. city who's doing the best that they can to keep a lid on everything. And maybe one of their advisors approached them and said, look, let's let's get the werewolves out of the way or we're going to have problems. We can't kill them. Can we persuade them to stop killing us? I like maybe it. that. Maybe that would be the way to go about it because in a straight-up fight, even an Asamite, unless they get the drop on a werewolf, 
unanesamide is dust. Right. So now you, the they, only they, adjustment they, that I would make. So mm. I'm I'm comfortable with a Banu Hakim or an Asamite being the prince of this um, city, but I would make them a Nosferatu. So the Ooh. two clans that are major powerhouses in the Ashira are the Nas and the uh, Asamites, but also the Lasambra. So those three have a lot of power here. I would put the prince or um, that powerful figure in the Ashira as a Nosferatu who is really, really good at playing everyone off one another to deflect things and focus on the common good. He doesn't always do so perfectly, but he is trying to do good. He is a high humanity vampire. He might have true faith. He it's possible. doesn't hate werewolves, but does see them as a problem that needs to be like directed or gotten rid of if they can't be directed in specific ways. Mm -hmm. All right. I like that. Cool. I, I, I accept the amendment that Nosferatu Nosfer princes are a thing that should happen more often. They know everything. Right. So, yeah. But no, you could have a constellation of NPCs around this particular story and all sorts of interesting ways for the player characters to go. I love this. I want to play this game. Josh, write this game. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to pl play or run this uh, now that I have pitched it. All right. We've got to go to your Weaver pitch, uh, and then we've got to move along. A little All right. Bit, so, so we're going to be we're going to have to be quick about this. I also took on ideas, but I wanted to play with the idea around the Crusades, okay. which was, if anything, a very bad idea that took very deep root and then caused all sorts of trouble and chaos. The worm definitely took advantage of the Crusades, but the Crusades originated in a weaver stronghold mm -hmm. of wanting of a weaver servant. I mean, the Pope could definitely be a weaver servant. I'm sorry. Um, wanting to stamp some Christian influence on this area and also wanting to do something about all those rampaging knights causing trouble all over Europe. Mm -hmm. Let's get them out of here and get them to go do something positive with their faith positive in their definition mind you so i kind of wanted to stick this in Accra because okay. i love Accra. it's a mm -hmm. great city to play with um but i'm going to set this time wise a little bit forward of the default setting because a specific supernatural event has to have happened okay the supernatural event being the removal of the cross mm -hmm. because in the original vampire of the dark ages no vampire could approach Accra without burning up right because the true cross or a significant enough chunk of it that the player that the world believed the true cross was here was in Accra, and it was the power of the true faith around that cross that basically made Accra a no-go zone you could not dare you could you could cross the threshold of city your ash so the cross has to be gone but as soon as the cross leaves Accra is a huge city it becomes a vampiric grab, land grab for dirt. Mm. The Prince of Accra is actually, I thought that was fascinating. The Prince of Accra is a uh, Ravnos mm -hmm. who held power from a caravansary outside the city. And he was joked as being the Prince of Dirt and Ash or whatever or something like that. But now that the city is actually populated by vampires, he has actual power. But he now has to balance those competing factions just like the guys in Baghdad we were just talking about. I want to stick it in Accra and I want to have Warders of Men here and trying to understand why it is that the clash of these civilizations is happening so we can resolve this problem. Maybe we got a sept of Warder of Men philosophers doing that, working in conjunction with the Children of Gaia. Because again, we have possibilities of both being here. And it's big enough to house a Bonar sept Maybe all three are present and they all three have different takes on what the Crusades have done because the Crusades have ground down the bone Nars can. The Crusades are a terrible waste of blood and lives to the children of Gaia. And the, the uh, Crusades have been a really good thing for the waters because they've exposed the waters to the rest of the world. So the waters are trying to reach out to get a new crusade going before we get stomped out of the city because they know it's coming. They know it's coming. The 
the fall of Acre isn't for another hundred years, but the Crusader states are a rump. What's left of them is a rump at this point. So they're trying to reach out to their companions on the mainland to get some help. And we're warring over this idea. These three septs are quarreling over this idea. Does the idea of crusades and it's shaping their lives in a way that is particularly weaver. And I like that. And I want to introduce some chaotic elements. Maybe the player characters are the chaotic element. Mm -hmm. Throw the, throw the player characters in. Maybe the player characters are arrived as crusaders coming to help. Maybe the player characters come as merchants who are interested in the wealth of the, the wealth of the East and are getting caught in the tensions between these three sets. And the fact that vampiric population is exploding, making the player characters also realize, oh, the worm is here and definite. We need to do something about this. So what I would make the pack is I would make them vampire hunters who are here explicitly because they're like, we have heard the vampires control this space. And the other Garrow were like, no, they don't. But they have been vampires here for hundreds of years. Right. <laughs> but the, the pack is like set, dead set. No. We, there are vampires here. We are going to root them out. We are going to kill them, throwing everything out of whack because the septs have to just deal with this rampaging pack who are being seen, who are causing delirium issues, who are not careful. Because the veil is still a thing mm -hmm. and the veil is stretched tight in this region because there's a lot of supernatural muckety-muck going on around here especially with all these new vampires cropping up in the city because the player characters are right. If the player characters coming as vampire hunters, they're absolutely right. Right. The, the, the vampire population here is surging because for the, this is a, this is basically a new frontier for the vampires. It's mm -hmm. wide open. It's a territory where there's no established power structures. There's no elders. There's nobody who can tell them, you can't sire a brood of childer. There's nobody you can tell them you can't take whatever influence you want. So you've got the three septs going at it over the philosophy and ignoring the presence of the, the vampires because they're not a huge deal to them and the player characters disrupting the situation. So I have to have an elder of each one of the septs. Yep. So I'll make an elder warder of mana galliard who is definitely pro crusades and spinning stories of the glories of previous crusades maybe he was related to one of the crusader lords or families or something like that distantly and he is a huge fan wishes he could participate was sad that the crusades missed him he's hoping for a new crusade that he could participate in his lifetime and he wants it to happen he's making a big noise about it um the bonar um bonar i think a bonar arun who's basically been darn tired of fighting off all these threats to my sept and my people and the vampires are just one more problem i don't need mm -hmm. the bonar might actually offer safe haven to the player characters as a straight up you can crash here but you got to go deal with them right go deal with these things that are just making my making my day rough and then to throw in the balance let's make the child of gaia a philodox who is trying to balance the competing interests of these two much more powerful sets, especially the children of Gaia sept is the smaller of the three. Mm -hmm. And here's a nuance that, that I will add to the child of Gaia. They are a ghoul. Ooh, I like this. Why? They are, um, they are a, they are taking the Eucharist from a, uh, a dark, Inver inverted church in the city who is uh, who they didn't know this when they first started going there but they uh, took communion from this tainted church and now are sucked into this um, this perverted Canite religion oh no they're in the Canite heresy yes oh yeah I love the Canaan heresy. Great, great. I accept this. And the child of Gaia is not aware that they have become worm-tainted. Yep. They just know that they are absolutely enthralled with this worm thing. Well, he doesn't even recognize it's a worm thing. Right. It's just, his spiritual leader. This this priest is, is really powerful. Um, they are they are really speaking, um, you know 
to me uh, in, in a way that I think everyone needs to hear. Um, and they are evangelical in their new faith. Oh, man, I love this. What would you add to the mix, Josh? <laughs> um, that was my addition to this because I want us to like kick on to the, to the next element of the triad. Oh, yeah. Let's go to the worm. <laughs> okay. So my worm pitch is this. A red talon stumbles across a wicked hive in the depths of the forests of Eastern Europe. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. It doesn't matter. Um, but somewhere in Eastern Europe, maybe Transylvania, maybe um, in, just in uh, Slovakia or somewhere like that, um, which Slovakia is not a defined territory in this era, but somewhere in that zone. But he's completely ignored by every sept he goes to and says, like, this is a thing. There is a hive of, of these horrible worm werewolves. And all the other werewolves are like, no, pfft, that's not a thing. Th those aren't real until he arrives at the pack set. And the pack is like, maybe he's, maybe he's onto something. Maybe this is a real thing. But one of the major elders of their sept is a black spiral dancer. I love this. They have been so for a long time. They were maybe a, uh, a child of Gaia or a Bonar or whatever um, that has danced the spiral, come out, worm tainted but very very good at hiding it um sense worm is not a gift that is taught in this sept we don't need that power we we see the worm we defeat it we don't need any additional you know tools to uncover the worm mm -hmm. here finding the hive is the easy part for the pack they can find it man it's powerful it's strong the Geru have to figure out a way to organize a large-scale assault on something that no other sept believes is really a, a, a thing or dangerous or there. And then this corruption within the sept that they are in and maybe other septs in the area, maybe all of them have been contaminated by worm-tainted elders. They have to figure out, oh, let's organize this assault. And oh, wait, we need to ferret out this corruption amongst us in a way that doesn't cause a civil war in this region. That's my worst. I, like I like it a lot because as I pointed out, we were discussing this in the last episode to use the BSDs in this area, you really have to play them like vampires. Yep. They're not got the numbers or the power to play the BSDs like you do in the modern era, where you can use them as the worm's biggest shock troops. Right? No, you don't have, they don't have that you got to use them as subtle corruptors. They're agents of the defiler worm at this moment. They're not beast of war material. The beast of war will loan them some troops if they need it, but they're not beast of war material. Um, yeah, I like that. I especially like the idea that the BSD elder is tamping down the idea of teaching sense worm and tamping down the idea of, we got this. There's not been a worm taint in this area for a long time. He may be not the voice that's loudest among them, but he prods his pet galliard to shout them down. Like, this is wrong. Like, you're out of, tell them they're out of line. Mm -hmm. I don't need this kind of troublemaking in my dirt. Yep. Maybe, worst of all, maybe the tainted elder is the elder. Oh, maybe yeah, he's yeah. the alpha. Maybe he's the one who calls the shots there we go and he's got and he's got a layer of protection and then maybe he has a proto version of the fetish which hides worm taint mm -hmm. but he's right there he's right there at the top of the most powerful sept in the area and he knows as soon and the other thing is he'll change tactics once the player characters start to be successful right once they start swaying the other elders in the area he will coordinate this assault. Mm -hmm. He will absolutely help the player characters plan the assault. I'm a powerful rune. I can do this. I am glad to help you. Plan. And he gives them the worst approach possible. Yep. He tells them how to go to this hive and he warns the defenders in advance. So the player characters are marching into a slaughter. The player characters have done all their hard work. If they don't root out the bad guy first, the bad guy will tip off the, the hive they're coming. Yep. 
and the player characters will march right into a slaughter. And I if like the player that. characters and their assault fail, if the player characters survive, how are the player characters going to be looked at by all the seps that they've just sent? Well, now we've proved the worm is here. But you've thrown away the lives of our best warriors to deal with it. Yep. Now what? So I love this. This yep. is the worm corruption at its finest. Yep. I went back to Poland because I thought I was fascinated by this land where the Silver Fangs and Shadow Lords are still at their old lord and counselor roles. Mm -hmm. I know that's going to be a shaky alliance. And I wanted to shake that tree hard. So a touch of research into the history of Poland in this era makes this very enlightening. This kingdom is a recent thing. Mm -hmm. It's only been united in like the 10th century, the tail end of the 10th century. And by the pious dynasty, it, it's unified out of Polish tribes. We're starting to Christianize the region. Feudalism is a new idea over here. This is kind of the frontier of Christendom. That said, the unified kingdom has been militarily successful. It's held off invasions from the Holy Roman Empire and the Kievan Rus alike. And they've taken dirt on both sides of them and expanded their borders a little bit. They've been somewhat successful. But the pious dynasty is fractious. And every time the crown changes hands, there's a succession crisis. And the kingdom is almost dissolved when Bolasol III divides the four duchies in his rule between his four sons, creating a complex alliance that's supposed to stabilize the realm, makes a new duchy around um, Krakow that's kind of like the ruling duchy, mm -hmm. and he gives that to the one he wants to be his heir. Oh, great. Now you've created a plaything for them to fight over. Right. So I look at this like I can see the complex arrangements of power balancing and it's makes all the four sons struggle for power. It explains so much to me. The instability of the Polish state is probably exacerbated by the playing things of the Shadow Lords and the Silver Fangs. And as I'm looking up and doing this research and writing this week, I'm realizing you and I have another book on our list. <laughs> Rage Across the Dark Ages, Poland. Maybe. Probably not for us. There are other writers that I know um, specifically who are Polish that I would rather have write it, but we could certainly organize it. And Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down for this. But uh, if I was running this as a setting, I'd interlace the Silver Fang bloodlines throughout the Pious Dynasty, but and they're connected to Gleaming Eye in the Holy Roman Empire, but they're still trying to make themselves an independent kind of bloodline. House Gleaming Eye fits. They have high ideals, but they have a certain heavy-handedness mm -hmm. that kind of suits the pious dynasty well. On the other hand, I'd shoot the lower echelons of nobility with Shadow Lord lineages. So they do you you do a great thing for me. You I give you a piece of dirt and ennoble you. Oh, wait, you were a Shadow Lord kinfolk. I probably shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Oh well. It, and the puts the Shadow Lords in a position to be the advisors in the ear of the Silver Fang kinfolk because the lower levels of nobility are supporting the higher levels of nobility in their ambitions over the throne and their ambitions over everything else. And um, the Shadow Lords have a lot stronger connection because they're closer to their homelands in Hungary, they're closer to Carpathia, and they have more of a connection through the common people, like you'd said, in the region. And then you have the Bonars who are definitely going to be anti-feudalist who are going to look at this like, uh-uh, we've seen how this works out for our cousins in the rest of Europe. This is not a good plan, not a good way to go. Let's not deal with this. With all this setting like a powder keg already, now let's throw the worm, the defiler worm, into the mix. Like you, I had the idea of putting a BSD in a high place. Like put a BSD in a Shadow Lord Elder position a Shadow Lord Elder who is unbeknownst to people dance the silver, dance the spiral. Right. And is really good at hiding his taint and is subtly provoking his Lords to do things that were going to cause retaliation. He convinces his fellow Lords to work against the interests of the silver fangs in ways that are sure to tick somebody off and get some retaliation or provoke the silver fangs to fight amongst themselves, which again is not that difficult to do when there's a limited number of crowns to go around and your relatives are, or we could flip it and have a silver spiral 
So someone here, dance the silver. Here's my, so I like where you're going, but here's my alternate take, which I think makes this like a step higher. The silver fang elder's wife is embraced oh. by a powerful Toreador, like oh. fifth generation Toreador. So there, that she is a sixth generation Toreador. She is uh, just inherits this powerful blood and is left alone there. But her husband is so in love with her that he can't kill her, cannot do what he has to do. He knows what he has to do, but he shouldn't do it. Then he is slowly corrupted by her corruption. And the two of them just start making choices that are horrible and more horrible and more horrible. Um, if you really want to go like uh, worm tainted, you could make her a Bali instead of a Toreador. But that's my idea there. Oh, that's not a bad idea at all. You could, you put it, yeah. And there's a, there's more, there's plenty of room for all kinds of that worm corruption because we got vampires shot throughout this area too. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the, you could also have the silver fangs, like I said, the silver spiral advisor that I was thinking, mm-hmm. provoking the silver fangs to work against Shadow Lord interests. Yep. In the same way, maybe they're both working together, pushing two ends towards the middle mm-hmm. to really create conflict. And there could also be playing a long game of messing with the silver fangs bloodlines yeah because what you do here and that was that idea came to me by reading the opening story where it was talking about somebody who was married at the tail end there's like the silver the wife who was a silver fang kinfolk of a saddle lord i'm like that is going to muddy the bloodlines that is going to muddy the blood at the pious dynasty already has a relatively tenuous connection to silver fang bloodline if you muddy that with silver with shadow lord blood because they would intermarrying the local nobility then now you're producing silver fangs who are not acceptable don't meet the standards and now you're going to have to find another tribe to be part of because falcon won't take you Mm. now that's an insidious long-term attack of destroying the silver fangs pure breed destroying their base of their base of support um and then you can throw in the mix of rabble-rousing vampires or rabble-rousing bonars causing anti-feudalist revolts. We have documented evidence of pagan revolts, yep. which made things even more, which lead to crackdowns. Awesome story that I think um, we've given enough detail on for people to build their elements out from. I think all of these story hooks are really good. I hope people enjoy them and can do something interesting with them. I'd love um, to hear of a story run from any of this. Absolutely. Um, so if anyone decides to run one of these stories, please let us know. Uh, if it just inspires you to run your own game, let us know that as well. Um, Jim, thank you again for your time and coming and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Um, I loved it. It was a great time. Absolutely. So until we finally get an answer to the question of when will you rage, we will talk to you again next time.